There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbach, and we've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week, Centauri and I were joined by Rebecca Clements, the proprietor of RC Online Coaching, which focuses on movement and nutrition programming. We talked about the health epidemic almost one-third of our country is facing, her approach to working with her clients, which she refers to as simply whimsical, the necessity of tracking one's performance, the value of habits for a healthy lifestyle, and finally, how to best evaluate a trainer slash coach. You can learn more about Rebecca and what she's working on at rconlinecoaching.com, and I definitely encourage you to check it out. Thanks, as always, for listening. Please like and share us on Facebook with somebody you think would enjoy the show. That's enough about that. Let's go. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me, as always, is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action today is Rebecca Clements, the proprietor of RC Online Coaching, Movement, and Nutrition Programming. Welcome, Rebecca. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Centauri, mm. when you were at your chubbiest, how chubby were you? Jeez, <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so for anyone that doesn't know me, I was a chubby kid um, growing up. Um, I wasn't like, I would, I was just chubby, not like obese, but okay. um, I was definitely a little chunker. And uh, it wasn't until actually high school where I read a book that I still remember that my parents were pissed that they sold me actually as a 13 year old, uh, which was called Banish Your Belly Through Men's Health. And what it really did was like teach healthy portions, um, portion control, how to work out appropriately and effectively. And that really jump started me on like health and fitness to some degree. And that helped lose a lot of weight. And today I, I can certainly speak for those that have never seen Centauri. He's a, a picture of perfect fitness. He's very, very, he's, he's jacked. And you guys will check out Rebecca's website, but she's certainly jacked as well. Me, me, not so much. So I, 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 I like to give Centauri a hard time, but he takes really good care of himself. So anyway, Rebecca, thrilled to have you on the show today. I, I was listening to a podcast recently, and I, I learned that over 100 million Americans are pre-diabetic or diabetic. 40% of American Ooh. adults are morbidly obese. So you have your work cut out for you. Oh, yeah. Um. Now, when, when you hear statistics like that, does, does that surprise you? Does that make you think, I need to work harder? What, what, what goes through your mind? Um, it definitely doesn't surprise me. Um, you see it every day. I'm originally from Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. I moved to Arizona about two years ago in Michigan. I think because especially this time of year, um, it gets so cold. No one wants to go outside. The activity levels drop. Um, even moving to Arizona has been a breath of fresh air for me to see um, the movement culture has changed um, compared to Michigan. That more people, it's nice out all the time, so you can go outside, you can do all this. So um, that does not surprise me. I would love to work with every single person I can to change this. Um, and I, I'm starting to. <laughs> I've got my clients that are making progress and um, doing as much as I can. Nice. And... It really is 
very concerning to me to, to think that a third of Americans are moving in the wrong direction when it comes to their physical health. And I'm all for people feeling good about themselves, but at the same time, I don't want somebody to feel really body positive if they're going to be unhealthy and more and more unhealthy as they get older because that's going to not only be bad for them, but it's also going to cause the cost of health care to go through the roof. So uh-huh. this is something that, that I'm really, really, really concerned about. Yeah, I think we're not moving in the right direction because we're not moving enough, period. Um, then you have to select your people who I'll actually get as clients pretty often that are moving a little bit too much, and sometimes you have to have them reel it in to get back to optimal health. But for the most part, I think the reason that we're not headed in a better direction with any of those statistics is that um, people don't move enough. And that's why I call myself a movement and nutrition coach because um, I work with all movement. I love all movement. And I think that we can't just separate certain kinds of lifting or certain kinds of aerobic work. Everything is movement. So um, that's that's what I'm trying to do is get people to move more, move well, um, and then feel better. So, Rebecca, could you tell us a little bit about how much you feel like um, most people's jobs lead into a sedentary lifestyle? So most people are sitting all day, and then after eight hours of sitting, the last thing that people want to do is you know, head to a gym. Talk to us a little bit about how lifestyles have really um, kind of enabled, for lack of a better term, this, this pervasive piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even to, quick to combat that, what I do uh, is I program for people – um, remotely, so I have clients all over the world uh, in nutrition, movement, and then the third piece is lifestyle coaching. So, um, as you said, that is a huge issue. And to combat that, it's actually become so important that it's an entire third segment of what I do, and that's lifestyle coaching. So, you have people that are sitting all day that aren't moving enough. Um, of course, they don't want to go to the gym at the end of the day. I, I can't blame them. Um, so, what I do is some of my clients want to recommend to anyone who does sit super often. Um, is take at least quick breaks. It's a little hack. Um, the rule is 20-20. You spend 20 minutes in front of a screen, spend 20 seconds looking elsewhere, and even better yet, get up, do a couple laps pacing down the hall, and that doesn't mean pacing down the hall with your phone in front of you. That means walking around, no distractions, even if better, if the weather permits, go outside um, and do those quick little breaks. And then as far as it goes with working out and scheduling that on top of what you're doing, you have to make it a priority. So, you know, you have a nine to five job or you're working 10 hours sitting down or whatever it is all day long. Um, If you don't want to go to the gym at the end of the day, that's okay. Don't. Instead, you can work on go for a walk at the end of the day. You have a 30 minute lunch break. Why don't we, you know, do this instead, get you to do some push-ups in the office, you know, whatever it is, Um, or schedule in the morning to try to work out. Before you work, it probably will give you more energy. You're going to work even more efficiently anyway. Um, or schedule priority sessions on the days that you don't have to work. So there are a couple little tips to try to get around um, and combat that as much as possible. Nice. And I think it's important to, at least from my perspective, take a practical approach to all this because mm-hmm. life is not a game of perfect. If there were ideal scenarios, then you know, then we'd live in an ideal world, but, but, but we don't. Um, I, I wanted to have you share a little bit about your philosophy, which is simply whimsical, because I really like that mm-hmm. a lot. So start yeah. with simply. Yeah, so it actually started out as um, something that was a leadership philosophy in a class that I did in undergrad. We had to come up with 
something that explains who you are. And my tagline statement was, I want to inspire people to live simply and whimsically. Um, mm-hmm. Little did I know, did that not only fit in leadership, but that transferred over to fitness and essentially everything I do in life. So what that means, um, I actually have a little blurb about it on my website, but um, it is that simply is the structure. It is the dedication to the process. It's the consistency, the fundamentals. Um, it's eating the right foods for your body. It's moving through good range of motion, safely and controlled. Um, sticking to the program. It's having a program at all, a plan of action. Um, it's the basic things that are the structure of everything you do, like sleeping enough, minimizing your stress, making sure you're actually breathing. Um, and the ones that call the heart, it's the playfulness and it's the fun. So the structure is incredibly important. But um, I say without the whimsical, without the fun, there's no reason to be doing what you're doing. So it's the movements, the creativity, the hearts, um, and the why. So the simply is the how, and the whimsical is the why. So I think that if you do them both correctly and pair them hand in hand, uh, you're unstoppable. There's nothing you can't do if you have your why, and then you have a plan to go with it. Nice. And I, I like to keep things simple, as, as, as simple as I can. And I can honestly point to a couple of years ago when I wasn't doing enough water drinking and I was not getting or doing enough breathing. And when I tell people that, they're like, well, that's, that's kind of dumb. But the reality is I, I, I play competitive or did play competitive tennis and I caught myself not breathing during the points and I would start getting dizzy and I'm like, holy cow. I need to actually just do a better job of breathing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's just in general, too. Even people sitting at their desk really stressed out opening an email where they start to breathe in their chest and their upper their traps. You can, you can see and feel that they're breathing up into their body instead of breathing more through their core. And that's even just sitting, you know, checking your inbox, um, answering the phone with someone from work or whatever it is. Um, and then I get to see the side of when you're in the gym too and how breathing correlates with that, I can have someone, you know, squat and hold their breath for a really long time, not squat them for a while, teach them how to breathe through their diaphragm properly, squat them again, and they're going to do better. And we didn't even have to squat them or make them do a million reps. It was just teaching how to breathe properly. Um, that can be such a massive indicator of progress and uh, getting better. And in terms of, of water, I, I grew up in the Midwest. I'm, I'm from Minnesota. Oh, cool. And I don't know that, like, my my folks, for example, and a lot of folks don't drink a ton of water. And I don't know why that is. And you move to Arizona, and if you don't drink a lot of water, you'll die because we evaporate. Right. So those two yeah. simple things, and then you couple in sleep, if you're not doing mm-hmm. those right, you're really going to be messed up. Mm-hmm. You'll have people who are sleep deprived for years, so much so that their hormones are at a point where they're on high alert all the time. They're like, I'm not tired. I sleep five hours a night and I feel great. It's like, yeah, you might feel great now, but you're, you're going to crash and burn. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's in a month, a week, or a couple of years, it's going to happen. So, Rebecca, as we talked through um, the statistics we started with, looking at all of this as being part of preventative health, where do you feel or where do you think people get off track? So where, where do they get on this piece where they're had, headed to uh, obesity or pre-diabetes or pre-heart failure? What, what is the impetus of that and how do they get on that track? Um, I think it's getting 
being overwhelmed. There's so much information out in the world. There's so many diet plans, so many different ways that people say, this is how you need to be eating, this is how you need to be working out, that that can be incredibly overwhelming. Um, so it's, it's that thing where I have to climb this mountain. Well, wow, that's a big that's a big mountain. I'm not even going to try it. I'm going to take you know the trolley up or whatever. Um, I don't know if there's trolleys on mountains. But it's the difference between that and someone saying, hey, there's actually like a smaller hill right next to this. I'm going to start um, climbing up. Even if I just make it halfway up, I'm going to call it good for the day. Um, so what I want to do and what we need to get more people to do is instead of looking at that daunting task of I need to lose weight, the doctor is telling me that I am pre-diabetic, um, like all these things. Instead, we need to say, what are a couple little, little habit-changing steps we can do now that are going to make a massive difference? What do you feel are those little things, maybe two or three, little things that people can do in their everyday lives that would make a big difference? So what are the most you know, effectual things that might not cost a lot of money or require a lot of effort, but really put them on the right track? Mm-hmm. Um, having a plan, I think, is the far most important one. That can be even something where you write out a little sheet, a checklist sheet every day, and you maybe have three things. Hey, how did I sleep? Uh, how many hours? You know, How many um, glasses of water did I have? What movement did I do? Um, those three things are critical. Um, otherwise, I think it's... Um, Figuring out what works for you and then uh, small switches as we go. So, for instance, nutrition, when I work with my clients, it's all habit-based. So instead of giving them a meal plan and saying, hey, this is what you need to eat, um, I'm teaching them how to eat. So I won't say, here's exactly what you're going to eat. I'll say, show me what you're eating and let's make a little swap. So you have someone who eats, you know, toast with the worst kind of bread you can think of in the morning and like four eggs. I might say, hey, instead of this, let's swap out this bread, this other bread, or try a tofu scramble or add some veggies here, whatever it is. You give them one or two steps to tackle to feel really good with. And then even that little incremental step is going to be massive. And then once they've got that master, they feel confident. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, I crush breakfast every morning. Then we start swapping out a couple other meals. And slowly over time, you develop new habits that are no longer hard. It's just a part of your everyday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes the way you're going to get better is the same way that you got sick and it's small bites, right? Literally. Absolutely. <laughs> and chewing, that's another one. Um, if I can recommend anything uh, to take away from this is um, chew your food more. A lot of times people will get uh, bloated or gassy or they avoid vegetables because they um, say they don't digest them well. But at the end of the day, what it probably is is you didn't chew your food enough. So wow. sort of the recommended is 25 to 30 bites per or choose per bite, which seems like a lot. Yeah, I think that's um, I'm not saying anyone has to <laughs> count all those. I don't need to go nuts. But um, to be more mindful when you eat, because the better you chew your food, the better it breaks down in your body, the better digestion you have, the better you feel, the more food you absorb. Uh, great stuff. So, chew your food. <laughs> nice. Well, I, I, I love the whimsical part, the why. Okay. Um, there's there's a great quote that I, that I like. It says, Vision gives direction and fun gives longevity because yeah. if I'm not having fun, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm, and I'm uh-huh. definitely going to stop doing it if it's painful. And I think that's probably one of the things that stops people from staying on a diet or staying on some kind of an exercise program if they're not having fun. Um, one thing that's become extremely popular over the past, I don't know how many years it's been, is, is CrossFit. And uh-huh. I, I, I'll get your opinion on this when I stop talking eventually. But I think that... <laughs> 
what makes that so successful is the community that is built up around it. Do you think that that's true? Oh, absolutely. Um, not only that too, but it goes along with what you just said about getting bored and there needing to be fun. And CrossFit is so fun for people because the whole idea is that it's different every day. You walk in, you see what's on the board, you got your camaraderie around you, and you're like, all right, we're going to hit it. The next day is going to be something completely different. Um, so yes, I think it is absolutely the social component as well as the constantly varied high-intensity functional movement component. And going back to the uh, earlier piece about people being too overwhelmed, I would think that CrossFit and something like an Orange Theory is also very popular and appealing because um, you're pretty much guided on what to do. So you go in and you don't really have to think about it. It's laid out for you, where I think a lot of people get really overwhelmed going into a gym or into a class saying, I don't really understand what I'm supposed to be doing, whereas CrossFit um, really helps guide you through those things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in theory, you should have a coach there from start to finish. The one thing is sometimes not all, I mean, not all crossfitgens are the same. Not all trainers are the same. Not all practices are the same. So the one thing is to, if you do decide to start doing crossfit, fantastic. Make sure you have a good coach, a good gym, um, and that there's some structure behind the training. Hmm. Excellent. So I drove past this truck years ago, and they had this bumper sticker on it, and it said... If they don't want us to eat animals, then why are they made out of meat? <laughs> that uh, and I always kind of thought that, that was funny, but anyway, you follow a vegan diet, is that correct? Yes. And tell me and tell all of our listeners why it is that you think that a vegan diet is the healthiest diet mm -hmm. or a healthy diet for people today. Put her on the spot. <laughs> get everything you need without hurting anything else um, you can thrive you can survive you can put on as much muscle as you want run as fast as you want and there's a lot of athletes now going to a vegan diet because of the reduced inflammation in your system you don't have foods that are bothering you as much you don't have to worry about the hormones that are in the meats that you're eating you don't have to worry about you know trying to digest um meat that's rotting in your system it doesn't get out fast enough um, there's more fiber, there's more micronutrients. Um, it's just, it's easy for me, it's easy for a lot of my clients, because once you start doing it, you feel better. And then once you realize, hey, I could have been feeling this much better all this time, the only thing I ever hear from people is I wish I would have done it sooner. Uh, so it definitely reduces inflammation. Uh, you feel better, you're going to drop excess weight you don't necessarily need, or put on more weight if that's what your goal is. Um, but it, it's... It feels good. <laughs> That's the number one reason. It feels good and you're doing no harm. Do you feel that most people, a barrier is just one, a lack of knowledge or two, that it just also seems overwhelming to go from, this is how I've eaten for 30 years and now I have to completely change that. So I'm just not going to try with the vegan diet. Mm -hmm. Both. Um, it's a little story is my father is actually um, a butcher. He's a meat manager at a company he's worked for for you know, 30 years. Um, he's pre-diabetic, he's diabetic, um, he'll even sometimes, his vision will get messed up from what he's eating, he's, the doctor says you need to lose weight, you need to fix these things, um, got him to watch documentaries, and he's finally starting to eat um, a little more plant-based, so it can help, it can help anyone, and I want to use it to help anyone, but that's the biggest reason, you're right, is that it can be overwhelming um, at first, you're doing something 
It's not even building one habit. You're completely changing the way you think about food, the way you purchase food or grow food or prepare your food. That's a massive lifestyle overhaul. So it takes time, but um, that's you need to get a coach if you want someone to help you through it or start reading and learning. So I was actually vegetarian before I was vegan for about six years. Um, I was vegetarian. I've been vegan for about another um, six years. For those who don't know, vegetarian, you eat you don't eat any animal um, like meat, but you have eggs and dairy. And then a vegan is no animal product whatsoever. Um, but the biggest reason that I switched from vegetarian to full vegan is that I spent one whole summer. It was my goal. I was in college and I was going to spend, you know, the month or two we had off um, reading one article a day. So I would go online um, in the morning. I would look up vegan articles or information. Um, while I was eating my oatmeal every morning with a little protein powder and some nut butter. Um, and I would read one article and then another article and another article. And the more I learned, the easier it became. Now it's, you know, like breathing and I teach this to other people. Um, but it took that. It took me, I had to educate myself massively and I still do to this day. Um, but that's, I think you're absolutely spot on when you said that that's the biggest thing is people not understanding it enough. What is it about a non-vegan diet that causes inflammation? Um, yeah, that's a great question. It can be anything from you're eating an animal that has hormones in it. So the regulation on what hormones are put in animals is a lot more lax than we like to believe. Um, even things like free-range um, eggs, for instance. Free-range just means that they're not in a cage. So you still have hundreds of thousands of chickens put together in a room without light back. Um, what they'll do sometimes is they go in in the morning, like take out all the dead chickens that died overnight because they've been pumped through hormones for so long um, that they're growing too fast for their own bones and um, they'll die. What they'll do sometimes with the chickens, grind them up, feed them back to the chickens. Chickens are not meant to be eating other chickens. Um, same with like a lot of like beef, for instance, cows, they'll say they're grass-fed, but the FDA regulations only for that to happen, you only have to have them have grass like a week or two up to the time they're slaughtered. So you will never actually know where that came from, um, what went into it. Okay, fair enough. Thank you. Uh, and and I, I couldn't agree with you more that the hormones and all the, the, the poisons that are put into our food is not having a really positive effect on our bodies. And we could probably talk for hours about that. But mm -hmm. um, is it... And certainly there's a, a cruelty to animals component to this. Setting that aside from a, a pure dietary standpoint, if I, if, if, if I were a hunter and I, I went out hunting and shot and killed meat and ate it, do you think that that would have a negative effect on my diet? Or is that like, what, what is your perspective on that from a dietary standpoint? Hmm. The biggest, the first thing that comes to mind with that is that if you look at our intestines, especially compared to something like a lion that we all know needs to eat um, other animals and meats, is our intestines are a lot shorter. Our intestines are meant for something to get in and get out. Um, by having something in your system that gets stuck in there and it doesn't get out quickly, which is what meat does in your system for longer, that allows more time for it to stick in there, to build up, to build up um, the bad things to happen that you know, heart attacks or whatever it is. Um, we just don't need that. You can, you know, if you put, if you eat a big salad, that's going to go through your body a lot faster than, you know, putting in some um, animal. I think that 
if anyone were to ever eat an animal, I'm talking a little bit about the ethical part of it, um, I would want them to have to hunt it. I don't think that we're so disconnected from our food now that we'll go to the store and chicken nuggets don't look like chicken. They just, you know, ground it up and put it in cute little shapes for kids. You know what I mean? So we have to get more connected with our food. If you're going to eat a, you know, a pig for dinner, can you actually cut its throat? You know, so that, and just get back to a little bit more into the ethical component, but as far as uh, the meat, we just don't need it. It doesn't need to be in your system. Um, we can get full amino profile from different plants. We can get, you can get everything you need without it. So what I'm just doing is cutting off the middleman. Instead of going and hunting, you know, a turkey in the wild who is eating whatever plants, I'm just going to eat the plants, cut out the turkey, not have to worry about, you know, how it lived or what was in it, um, and just enjoy the food. Yep, fair enough. And perhaps it's a story for another day, ask Centauri if he wanted to eat bacon, could he actually go kill the pig? Anyway. Yeah, and there's there's a quote that goes, um, I think it's by Gary Yukovich. He's a big um, leader in the veganism movement. Um, And he said, if you put a baby in a crib with an apple and a bunny, what one do you think it's going to eat first and what one is it going to play with first? Mm. So the whole idea is we inherently don't grow up thinking, oh, I want to see an animal and I want to kill it. We don't have that instinct as kids. Um, we're taught that, and we don't even hunt anymore. Everyone now, you go and buy your food from the store or a restaurant. Um, so we've just gotten away from that. Well, I have a one-year-old who sleeps in a crib and bunnies in my neighborhood, and maybe I will try to recreate that. <laughs> <laughs> Throw the bunny in an apple and, and just see what happens. Yep. <laughs> I, my uh, my my kid's a sweetheart, so I think that he'll give the apple to the bunny and pet it while, while it eats it. Maybe. Who knows? Rebecca, tell us a little bit about um, – so I've been involved with a lot of public health conversations, and one of the things that always comes up is food portion. So if you look at plates from the 60s compared to now, look at meals from the 60s compared to now, I mean portion sizes have essentially doubled if not tripled. Talk to us about how you coach your clients through uh, portion control or just your thoughts on the, the food movement um, going to bigger in general. Mm-hmm. Um, the portion control can actually go both ways. I have, surprisingly enough, a lot of clients who undereat and even people in general. Um, you go and eat you know, a meal at McDonald's or a fast food meal or something. Those portions are huge. You're going to eat that meal and then you're going to feel horrible the rest of the day. Um, and you'll probably under-eat the rest of the day. Or you didn't eat all day long, you need that little spike in insulin, and then you decide to go um, get a massive order of fries um, at wherever fast food chain. Um, so it is, for portion control, I well, that's not usually something that is first most important thing to worry about. The first thing is what is it that you have on your plate? So if you have... What's an example? Like uh, refined pasta, just like the shitty low-grade pasta. You have a massive bowl of it, like three cups of pasta, and you eat all that. that that's danger zone. That's a massive insulin spike, even for someone who's an athlete or needs it or whatever it is. Instead of me saying, hey, I want you to cut this down, which we would have that conversation too, but it would also be, hey, let's swap this source over to maybe a bean noodle or a big salad with some you know, a little bit of fat protein on top. Um, that switch itself will help them realize, you know, you can't eat that much 
salad, you're going to feel full. If you eat that much, you know, fruits and veggies and you start eating more real food, you're going to feel full faster and you're not going to want to overeat. The reason we do overeat and have such big portions of things is that um, it's not giving us the nutrients we need or it has that, you know, that chemical that you eat and your body, your mind is like, oh, I want more, I want more, I want more. And then we overeat, we don't feel that great from it and we don't feel satisfied. So we do need to worry about portions controlled, but also what that food source is and the quality. The better quality, the better food source, the more real plant and food material you're eating, you're not even going to want to overeat. Your body's going to signal, hey, I feel good. I got the micronutrients I needed. I got the macronutrients I needed. I'm full. I'm happy. Let's go for a walk or let's go back to work or whatever it is. So, um, and I bet I know the answer to this, but I would love to know your thoughts on the uh, – the current USDA guidelines as far as the food pyramid, I think it's still a pyramid. Do you feel like that's valid? Do you coach your clients using that or do you think it's just poor shit? Yeah, poor shit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, we have a, definitely have a lot of work to do. And then you have to think about, it goes so many layers deep. So we will all want to think that the government and these guidelines have our best um, interest in mind. But we all know that's not the case. Underneath it, it's where is the money? What are the who's funding the government, who's funding these pyramids to be made. Right. Okay, most of the time it's the dairy industry, it's the you know, meat industry, it's the things that we don't we don't need to have um, in our government, which is a whole other separate conversation, but at the end of the day we need to take anything that's released that way with a grain of salt. Right. When you have sea, sea salt, because I don't recommend regular iodine salt. Right. <laughs> right. We'll take it with a grain of sea sea salt or salt sea salt. When you have something like the Department of Agriculture overseeing what people should eat, there's an inherent conflict of interest, so I understand that there. Mm-hmm. All right, so what is the way forward for somebody who's listening to this? Um, maybe they're looking at a website and they say, okay, well, Rebecca sounds like she knows what she's talking about, but... I don't know that I want to be going to CrossFit and, you know, I, I don't know that, that I want to be able to lift 300 pounds or do squats. I'm just interested uh-huh. in being healthy. Mm-hmm. How would you recommend that somebody seeks out a, a coach or, or a trainer? What's, what, what, because there are so many different approaches and philosophies on diet and exercise. Put yourself uh-huh. in their shoes, in, in, in the consumer's shoes. Yeah, so I actually I work with some of those clients. I have a lot of just health, um, general health people. Um, but the biggest piece of advice I have, and I have a blog on my website if anyone wants to read into this a little bit further, but it shows, it says how something like um, how to look for the right trainer, especially if you do do an online coach. Um, biggest piece of advice, just because someone has a lot of followers on Instagram mm-hmm. or they have a six-pack six abs and they have a six-week just shredded template and um, that's all sort of hearsay. Instead, what you need to do is find someone that knows, is going to know you. They understand your goals. They work with people that have the same goals as you, whether that's weight loss, general health, um, whatever it is. Ask for their qualifications. Um, see, ask for maybe some of their results. See the other clients they've worked with. If you can talk to one of their clients, that's great. Um, have a consult with the person. Um, get on the phone with them. Have some discussion. See if it's a good fit. Um, and then from there, make your decision. So it's so easy to get lost in how much information we have. You can go online and find a $20 to $50 
template to do just about anything, uh, let alone the free, all the free access to exercise and meal plans and all this stuff. Um, in a way, you get what you pay for. So find someone that's quality um, within your budget or whatever it needs to be. Um, ask the right questions, like what can you do for me? What are your qualifications? Um, start working with them and then see if it's a good fit. You need to have a coach or someone to help uh, guide you or make a plan that cares about you. So not just a template, not just a um, program you get in the email once a week. You need to get someone who you can talk to. You know, food and nutrition go so much deeper than just the actual exercises. I can, anyone can do a 10 by 10 squat program. You know, it's, do you need to be doing that? What level of intensity do you need for what you, what your goals are? What, like there has to be some structure behind it. So um, find someone that meshes with you, that you can talk to. Hey, I had a really bad day. Or, you know, someone you're comfortable talking about poop with and digestion and things that are sometimes a little more uncomfortable but that need to be talked about. Even one of the indicators I'll use with some of my clients is, how's your sex drive? You know, that's your that's a hormonal response that we're going to see. Hey, do you get tired after these meals? Okay, why? Let's switch these meals. Maybe have them do a food sensitivity test. You know, wait, there's so many, so many different things. Uh, find someone that you're comfortable with uh, and work with them. That is awesome advice right there. That's great. Nice. Well, Rebecca, we certainly do appreciate all of your time and insights. Where can people find you? Um, easiest place, www.rconlinecoaching.com. Um, there's a call me button that'll pop up with a little phone number uh, or there's a contact me form, which I prefer. Um, I'll get all of those emailed to me and then I can respond um, through there. There's also, I have Instagram too, um, at simply underscore whimsical. Excellent. And we will list all those locations in the notes of the show, so check that out. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show, and do feel free to share the show on social media with anybody that you think would benefit from the information that we shared. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real. Rebecca, thanks a lot. That was awesome.